Singer-songwriter Meg Braun grew up in Toledo, Ohio, and began singing with her family in and outside of church. Braun moved to New York City, where she started writing and honed her craft. She played at and eventually ran the Tuesday open mic at the C-Note in the East Village, helped found both the Christopher Street Coffee House and women's songwriters collective called Chicks with Dip. They released the album Joni Mitchell's Blue, a 40th anniversary celebration on which Meg sang River. In 2015, Meg was selected to perform in the prestigious Emerging Artists Showcase at the Falcon Ridge Folk Festival, and in 2016, she became a Kerrville New Folk finalist. Meg has released three albums of original songs, Tomboy Princess, Broken Places, and most recently, Restless Moon, a collection of song stories about women molded by the choices they made or the choices that the world made for them. Meg is currently working on a new album about survival and resilience in the face of hard circumstances. Better Than Fine is due out in 2022. Meeting at the musical crossroads of old time folk and Americana, Meg Braun is known for her fearless writing, dynamic vocal style, and performances that have charmed audiences throughout her musical travels. What if you don't remember Only the waking up the morning after Welcome to the Raw Songwriting Podcast, where I challenge my guests to write a song in one week based on a random prompt, then sit down and talk about the process. Along the way, we talk about the broader craft of songwriting. I'm your host, David Coyle, and it's my pleasure to introduce Meg Braun. Welcome to the show, Meg. Hey, Dave. It's great to have you here. So um, so I'm curious, uh, you're from Ohio, and uh, you, you spent some time uh, singing in church. And I, did How did that affect your uh, songwriting going forward? You know, I'm not sure how it would have directly affected my songwriting. Um, I, although I often think of some old hymns that I like on sometimes when I write songs, I love, there are hymns um, that are kind of feel like eternal hymns that they're not, they're not based in a time when you hear them, you realize they might've been written back in the 1700s, but they still feel musically relevant today somehow sure um and i i think that's where the some of the best songs are are songs where it doesn't matter when they were written you pick them up today and they still feel relevant and touch you well that's well what 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 do you think makes for a timeless song i mean i think we're all striving for that uh yeah i mean i definitely am striving. i think i think there's a lot of things i think one of i mean for lack of a better word, um, I think songs that that are that are really looking for a truth for the writer of the song. It may not be my specific truth, but if it's true for the writer, somehow that truth does seep through to everyone. Things that talk about universal experiences or somewhat universal experiences. I think of uh, the song "Hard Times Come Again No More." Mm-hmm. I mean, the, every time I hear that song, I'm like, that still applies today. Um, and yet, it was written, I think, in the 1800s, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I think it was a Stephen Foster song, but don't quote me. I guess you'll have to quote me on that, but, well, uh, was it? <laughs> well we can, well, we'll send our fact checkers out to, to yeah. find out what the truth is. Yeah. I so. do know who wrote that song, um, somewhere in my brain, it, it lives, but yeah, I think that that's what it, that's what I, I like to call them eternal songs. And I think that's what most of us are, who are writing are striving to write songs that will outlive us. Well, do you think it helps or hurts a song to 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 get into kind of micro details that may be very specific to a time and a place. I mean, when you're when you're trying to 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 do. I mean, do you do you feel like if you want to do a timeless song that that maybe you should be a little bit more general in the way that you talk about it, or 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 does uh, you know counterintuitively does it help to actually be micro focused? I actually think it helps to be micro focused. I actually immediately started when you asked me that th- thinking about Jim Croce's song um, Operator. Oh yeah. Operator. Well, I mean, nobody uses an operator to place a call anymore. That's a good point. I but love that I song too. That, I, but I still hear that song and it moves me, you know, and I, I mean, it makes me want to play it for like my, uh, my sister's child and say, Hey, Sam, does this move you too? <laughs> Just to see how, how generationally it worked. But that was written when my dad uh, was, in his twenties, I think twenties, you know, so that song has been around for a while. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's interesting. Cause I, you know, it's, it's funny because I, I, I love Jim Croce and I love that song. Um, and, and it doesn't even occur to me that 
yeah, nobody uses operators anymore. That's not a thing. People don't hit the zero, you know, to get the operator anymore. And, you know, in fact, if you're just trying to get on a, like a, um, a phone menu, a phone tree, you know, trying to find how do you get to somebody to talk to is, uh, they, they've definitely made it not zero. So, um, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. But so, I, how much so does that have to do with just the structure of the song? Do you think, I mean, is there a, a structure that kind of overcomes the, the specificity? I think so. I think there's, um, and I, I love, I love song forms and song structures because I, they give you a real opportunity to play. I, I actually think form and structure give you, um, give you a lot of freedom. Mm. Uh, how, I, can, how, how so? You mean just like the, the restrictions force you to be more creative or uh, I how think do you mean? So. I think so. And they give you, they give you sort of a, a, a sandbox to work in. And sometimes you have to throw mm -hmm. sand out of the sandbox, but you know, you get in the sandbox and you, you make your, your song castle and you know, you're pulling from, from just different parts of the sandbox and you're not going to go and maybe you'll reach outside the sandbox and grab like a, grab like a, 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 a handful of grass to sort of decorate the castle with uh -huh, most uh -huh. of the castle is was made within the sandbox I don't, that I, yeah. I like i like the uh song castle idea that's yeah. that's that's great i like that um but yeah that's that's i mean do you feel because we we you know this 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 podcast is kind of built around prompt songwriting mm -hmm. um and you know not everybody does prompt writing and in fact before i started doing this program i didn't do a lot of prompt songwriting but there is definitely it 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 changes the the dynamic of it um i do you feel when you're i mean well do you do a lot of prompt writing or do i actually you... do a lot of song prompt writing i mm -hmm. love prompt i i mean not all of my writing is song prompt writing but um i'm actually part of an uh, an online songwriting group called the tunesmiths and we get one prompt every month and we have a month to write a song to the prompt um and then we have, and we have to, there's rules. We have to use, we actually have to use the prompt in the song. So the word uh -huh. or words in the song. Um, and we have to have it up before midnight on the last day of the month. And you can only miss one month a year. If you miss a second month, you're out of the group. These are, I have not been a part of one of these, these, these kind of, uh, uh, song groups where they penalize you for missing something and I, how does t tell me about that how is that nerve-wracking or do you do, I mean are you just always kind of skating before the finishing line finish line? oh I'm always skating before the finishing line I mean the fact that I got this song to you before you know yesterday oh I know you got this in real quick yeah was mostly due to the fact that I I'm working I work a full-time job um, right now and um, just have a lot that I'm trying to juggle and so I and I didn't want to let this fall to the wayside and I don't do well on a little sleep. And so I didn't want to try to stay up super late when I can't sleep in Sure. <laughs> next morning to catch Absolutely. up on my sleep. Um, so, but in general, like I'm, I'm almost always writing the song for this particular group on the day it's due sometimes like two hours before it's due. Um, it's not that I'm not thinking about the prompt and don't have ideas. Like last month, I, I throughout the month would scribble down ideas in different places um, that came to my mind that might work for the prompt. And then the day of the prompt, I'm like, I forgot that it was the last day of the month. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I, and then it was like 10 o'clock at night on April 30th. And I was like, Oh, wait. Oh, uh Oh, Oh crap. <laughs> <laughs> and so I went and I quickly grabbed these ideas and I'm like, Oh, this kind of, you know, and I, I, it's not a done, it's not a finished song. Um, in any sense of the word, some people, some of the people in the group, Put together these amazingly beautiful finished songs i think that's maybe happened to me twice in like the three years i've been writing songs but what it yeah. does do why i like it in the deadline and is that it makes me write because i want to be in this group partly because i have such respect for the songwriters in it and i love you know getting to hear what they're coming up with um and it makes me because i have so much that i'm juggling it makes me take time to write at least once a month yeah, no, that yeah. I want, just... I want to write more than once a month. I want to write every day if I can, and I do a little bit of something whenever I can. But you know, we all get busy. Most most songwriters are not the touring singer songwriters who are making their living at it. Yeah, no kidding, no kidding. Yeah, it's just I, you know, I kind of gave up my full time job about eight years ago in order to kind of pursue being a singer songwriter. And uh, I, you know, I was writing before that, you know, when I was working a full time job. But it's 
it's tough. It's tough. It's tough to mm-hmm. do all the promotion. It's tough to do all the scheduling, all that stuff, you know? Um, so if you're, if you're working a full-time job and you're doing that, I, I salute you. I just have the utmost respect for, for, for being able to be that organized and that motivated. Well, let's, uh, let's jump in here to one of the songs yeah. and, uh, and, and take that as kind of a case study of how mm-hmm. you, uh, put things together. So the first song we have up here is called I Never Asked. What album is this off of? Is this on? This is off of this is off of Restless Moon, uh, which is the album I released in 2015. This was not written to a prompt. And I included this because it's it's kind of a fun one to talk about. Because I went to go see, I, I lived in New York City for about 20 years after college. And I had the uh, the luck to know somebody who had free tickets to see a one act play, one woman play with Fiona Shaw called The Testament of Mary, which is based on the book called The Testament of Mary. And uh, my friend Kay invited me to join her. She had tickets to it. And basically it is Fiona Shaw taking on the role of Mary in middle age after her son Jesus had been crucified on the cross, talking about her story and her side of it. And this was not the sweet, obedient Mary that we read about and have this conception of in the Bible. And I found that fascinating. And it also felt very true to me, like, come on, like, let's just run on the assumption that you are a believer, that you believe that God came down to earth, somehow impregnated this young girl and had Jesus and who was God's son and who was crucified. An obedient sort of passive person is not going to necessarily be the mother of God, you know, in my opinion, Mm, like you, you don't, you don't, I mean, I'm not saying that she's not obedient. She's, there's a difference between obedience and surrender. And I think surrender can be a good thing. And Mary, if you read the Bible and my sister, I'm very lucky. My sister has a degree in divinity. And so I kind of ran a couple things Ah, yes. uh, by, by her on this. Mary wasn't asked, wasn't really given a choice, was just Mm. kind of told and then agreed, surrendered to this. You have to be a pretty strong character to be a, she was probably 13 or 14 years old when you think, if you look at the times, hmm. unmarried. And, yeah. I mean, and, you know, and, and in a time when that was not, you know, accepted and then was married off to Joseph, who I'm guessing was an older man based on what I, what I know about the Bible. And, uh, and I, I went to, I'm not Roman Catholic, but I went to Catholic school and did grow up going to church and um, read a lot. And in that kind of life, you have to be of a strong character and someone who's not, uh, not really, you know, necessarily sweet and obedient to be able to live a life like that. And when you really think about it, you'd have to be pretty tough. You're right. That's, that's a, that's a pretty, that's a lot to be thrown at. Yeah. And and I don't think we think that much about Mary, maybe, well, the Catholic churches, but beyond the saint who who the the church has put up as the mother of God. I don't think we think about who was mm-hmm. Mary. Well, and is I, there much, is there much, and we, we should play the song here, but I yeah. mean, is there much, uh, is there much literature on, you know, who Mary was, uh, whether that be, you know, historical or, 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 or just uh, religious documents that kind of talk there, about who she was before. There, there is some research that's been done, and I dug a little bit into that, but I, I didn't really inform the song. I okay. actually, did, I did mm-hmm. some of the research of the song after I wrote it because what happened sure. was the morning after the show, I woke up and I just wrote. Like I was going through a phase where I was doing a lot of writing. Um, all like I was going, lucky to be in a place where I was writing almost every day, and the song was just there, and it just kind of poured out of me but that's not the end of the, i don't know if you want to play the song first well, we let's let's play the song and we can go yeah. into more about it here so yeah so this is uh well real quick this was off broken places is that what you said no this is off of restless moon restless moon okay so uh this is i never asked by meg braun off the album restless moon Oh 
blessed one The mother of God's son who intercedes He dressed me all in blue As if somehow that hue claims my innocence And how you paint my face Serene and full of grace to show no discontent I never asked to be holy To be raised above the lowly I was just a child Just a child That was I Never Asked by Meg Braun. And uh, yeah, that, <laughs> there's so many, so many great layers to that, that song. Um, and I just remembered something. There was a prompt involved in this song. Oh, oh, what was that? <laughs> so Carrie Cooper runs this uh, Real Women, Real Songs, and she's doing it right now, a new season of it. For She chooses um, several women throughout the year, and they get a prompt every week. And you're invited to write to the prompt if you want to. And I think that I kind of got stuck on this, even when I was writing it very quickly, it poured out of me and in a couple of places And the prompt that week was disbelief. So I, sometimes when I'm writing, I'll tell, I'm trying to just, it was, you know, a few years ago now, but that prompt that week was disbelief. And I'm like, wait a second, this was a prompt song because I went back and, you know, it helped bring it together. So. Oh yeah. Sometimes it's sort of like, uh, 
what is it, seeding clouds? You know, sometimes mm-hmm. it's like you know, all that that moisture's there, but it just needs that little thing to to help it rain. Can you can you give us kind of a play by play on how how you wrote when you were writing this in real time? How, how you said it kind of flowed out of you, but it flowed out of me. But it, believe it or not, all the verses and all the lines were in the wrong order. Oh, okay. So that's what I thought. So I was very fortunate that um, I've been very fortunate that I uh, have had a couple of great songwriting mentors um, in my life. And at this time, I was meeting with a woman named Diana Jones uh, every week. And she's an amazing, amazing singer songwriter. And she, um, she, I took the song to her. I'm like, I think there's something here. I think there's like, I mean, all the lines are really good, but I can't seem to make sense of it. And she's like, well, let's sit down. And so she, she basically kind of puzzle piece. She didn't write a single word of this song, but she puzzle pieced it with Mm, me. Sure. Mm -hmm. You know, so basically the second two lines in the first verse were originally part of the second verse. The third verse actually is what it is. Like, that's how I wrote it. That's exactly how I wrote it, how it came out. But those first two verses, we just, we puzzle pieced the lines together. Hmm. Oh, interesting. Okay. And because sometimes the muse gives you a song, but doesn't give it to you in the right order, you mm-hmm. know, because it needs, you know, doesn't want you to stop writing. And that's actually a lot of the ways I write is I'll sometimes just say, you're just going to write for an hour and we'll see what happens. <laughs> well, I was, boy, who was I talking to about this? But, um, saying that, that, uh, oftentimes like the first thing that you write it, like the false, sort of like a false verse or a false chorus or something. It's like mm-hmm. the first thing that comes out, but it ends up, it's like, eh, well, like that, that one needs to be rewritten or something. So, yeah. um, but yeah, yeah. I know, I know with me, oftentimes I'll write something that kind of feels a little bit too general and then I'll, I'll have to go back and rewrite it to have some more, you know, details and specifics and whatnot mm-hmm. in it. But um, this, truthfully, like these, I think these were all the words. I didn't think I tweaked. It was just everything. The, the lines were just not in the right order, you know, and they just, yeah. sometimes as a writer, you can't, you know that it's not right, but you can't see right away how to fix it. And I, you know, and that's the best part about having people you can go to and share things with. Well, I would love to hear more about music mentorship. I mean, we've talked about critique groups and, mm-hmm. uh, but I, but I, I don't, th- I think you're the first person that's brought up like a musical mentor per se. Um, how, how does that, how does that work for you? So it's, so I, I currently have, um, I have one here in Nashville. Her name is Sally Barris. Um, she oh, actually does a, mm-hmm. yeah. And Sally's amazing. But for me, what I like about it is, um, I've had mixed experiences in songwriting groups. Mm-hmm. Um, in when you like when you go meet like on a Monday or Tuesday night in somebody's house and you're all swapping songs, I've had some really great experiences. Um, but I find one of one of the things that can, that can happen in those groups is people start commenting just because they feel like they have to, rather than sort of let the song set. And that's that's not a dig at anybody. I'm pretty sure I'm probably guilty of that myself. Oh, sure, yeah. And it. For me, though, I, I started finding that less and less helpful. And in 2016, uh, in 2017, after when I was healing from breaking my hand, I was doing a lot of writing. And I was writing stuff that was highly personal to me. And I didn't feel comfortable taking into a group of strangers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so Amy Spies actually recommended Sally Barris to me as somebody to meet with. And Sally helped me with that. And Diana Jones, I did meet in the New York Songwriters Exchange in New York City. And uh, I'd taken another song in and played it and I wasn't sure what to do with it. And she came up to me and she's like, she's like, I think I could help you um, if you're interested in meeting with me. And Diana is, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with her work, but if, if you aren't, I highly recommend checking out her, her work. Was she Diana is, Jones, you said? Diana Jones. Okay. Um, she's, she's just a brilliant songwriter. She writes very much in the old time style, which is a, t- a style that I, I love the Carter family. I love, Sure. I, I feel like everything that came before us is, is the very foundation of everything that any of us are writing now. Like we mm-hmm. don't, there's nothing that's truly original um, as far as style is concerned. And she definitely writes in a little bit more of the old time style, but she she has a song called um, Henry Russell's Last, Last Words that I can't listen to without crying. Um, she had and Joan Baez has covered a couple of her songs, um, and she's just 
Judy Collins, I think has covered another, you know, like she's just an amazing writer. And she, so when she came up to me and she's like, she's like, you know, if you, would you like to work with me? I was like, sure. <laughs> and we started meeting on Saturdays in her apartment and, um, and uh, I would bring a song or something I was working on and we would work through it. And, nice. um, and, and I did, and, uh, and honestly, like I do, you do pay them a little bit because this is their time. This is, you sure. know, it's a profession, but for me, it was worth it. And I found it for myself and the same with Sally. I was able to edit my songs more honestly and more comfortably with one person rather than taking it to a group of people, some of whom I knew, some of whom I didn't, because you never knew who would show up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sort of giving them a free for all to say whatever they wanted to about the song. Yeah. Because the, ben- the benefit of a mentor is they know what your mission as a songwriter might be. They know, they, they get to know your style. That's, yeah, yeah. Well, you, you know, you bring up the, the, the types of critiques that you get in groups. And I, I've been wanting to kind of Put together a list of the types of people, the types that 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 you get in a critique group. I mean, there's, you know, like you said, the people that say something because they feel like they have to. Then there are the folks who feel like they're doing you a favor by tearing apart what you're doing because it's like that's just they're gonna face that in the real world. They need to hear it from me first. Mm-hmm. And then you've got, then you've got the people that, um, you know, who genuinely are trying to guess what you're trying to do and and trying to figure out the best, you know, the best way to get you to where you want to go. But of course, you got the other people who have kind of the standard. Uh, it's like this is what I was told. This is what I was taught, and so I want to apply that to this song, whether it really makes sense or not. Right. And then there's the people who just say, "Well, this is what I like," you know, and and or or they try to tell you how to write it the way that they would write it, which I, you know, it's all you know. I guess it, it can be helpful, but it can also be derailing. And I, I like the idea of. Um, I've been I've been taking the tact of because I'm not I don't know I'm not I'm not, not a huge fan of of group critiques that sometimes uh, but it, you know finding the right people and I know I've been looking to you know find people to critique my songs for specific things like there mm-hmm. may be somebody who I really really like their sense of structure but you know but maybe they don't have the same lyrical sense that I have um and then you know so I'll take that to a different person it's like well these are the these lyrics what do you think of that mm-hmm. and but it's sometimes finding you know somebody who gives you the full package mm-hmm. and Be- I will say that there is a huge benefit to these open groups too I when I was a new songwriter I did go to the songwriters exchange in New York and one of the things that did give me was a pretty thick skin when it came to hearing critique. Mm-hmm. So, and the benefit of that is when you critique a song of mine that's new, I'm not going to take it personally. I'm not going to. I'm not going to take it that oh, he Dave doesn't like my song or he doesn't like, so he must think I'm a bad songwriter. No, he's just talking about the song and what works for him and what doesn't work for him. Sure, absolutely. You know? And and I think that's important to learn how to how to manage critique as especially young writers. It's really hard to have your work critiqued. But the only way you get better is to write a lot and to have people look at what you're doing, be it like regular writing, like poetry and short stories and books or or songwriting like we do, you know. I, I will say that the, the group songwriting uh, critique, the group songwriting critique, I think, is one of the benefits of that is if you haven't found the people that you trust, if you mm-hmm. haven't found the people that you feel like are in sync with what you're trying to do, that it's good to get a variety of perspectives because if you, mm-hmm. if you, you hang on too much with one person and that person's you know maybe just not the right person they don't understand what you're doing then that can be really i i think that can be detrimental sometimes because you you don't want the wrong the wrong words to be hanging around in the back of your mind and if you've got Mm -hmm. multiple people talking to you at least you can kind of pick and choose which uh, a little bit a little bit there but well the other thing too that you discover is like there there are people in the songwriting groups that you're like oh this person what this person said really helped me yeah. And you put you lock that in the back of your mind. And so then you get to another song and you can reach out directly to that person and say, hey, I was working on this. You know, would you mind taking a look and giving me some feedback? And that's how and, you find the people that you trust is you have to yeah. have that. You have to expose yourself enough to, to yeah. be able to find the people that you trust and then you can go to. But so. I yeah, but I found for me, at least in the last few years, I feel safer and I feel like my writing gets better when I'm mostly working in a one-on-one situation and just sending, mm-hmm. sending what I'm working on to one person. I do have a few friends who I, um, who I now share things with as well that I'll share things that are very raw. Sure. 
um, with my, my friend Kate Klim here, who's going to have an album coming out next year as well, is one who I'll send her something where I'm like, I'm pretty sure this sucks. What do you think? <laughs> like, or I think I wrote something that might actually be really good. Am I fooling myself? <laughs> oh, you know? yeah. Well, that's, well, do you, um, I, I've been, I'm terribly embarrassingly public about when I write something, uh, mm -hmm. cause I do it for this, this, you know, I'm writing raw stuff for yeah. this, this show all the time. And I, you know, I have uh, a songwriting period in January that I do where I just post everything like as soon as I write it. Um, cause I'm trying to write like as many songs as possible in, in the month. And one thing that's really helped me is that, uh, is you get the feedback from folks and that even if it's a song that you really hate, there's, there's at least somebody out there who, who likes it and it's, which could be bad, I suppose, cause it might make mm -hmm. you hang on to some bad songs, but, um, but it, but it took a little bit of fear away, you know, from just, just writing and not, you know, I, I, I didn't have to worry about it so much. Not every song, I don't have to worry about every song being perfect because some, there's something, you know, good about each song. And sometimes it's you not wanna... a, it's not about being good or perfect. It's yeah. about creating. That's what, yeah. that's what I've learned. One of my goals is to find a way to write, if not every day, spend time writing, you know, a few, a few times a week, not necessarily songs, even just like, you know, morning pages. I used to do oh, that sure. consistently, but the pandemic, a lot of stuff threw me off of my, I don't know a lot of, I, I know some people who wrote a lot during the pandemic and I know I wrote at least a song a month because I didn't want to get kicked out of the Toonsmiths. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, but, you know, I think most, a lot of us were felt kind of frozen by what was going on. Which and, is like the exact opposite of what the public thought for creatives. I mean, the, the public yeah. was thinking, oh, well, people are staying at home. And, and so all these artists are going to be really, really prolific during this time. And it, it really didn't, at least certainly didn't start off that way. No. So, yeah. No, because we're all sitting here going, if I go outside, am I going to get sick? Yeah. Like I actually, you know, they put the, uh, the, the picture of like what the coronavirus molecule looks like. Uh-huh. And I have this really vivid imagination and I would go outside and I would felt like, and I felt like I could see them. Oh, sure. Sure. Everywhere. Uh -huh. Even though they weren't like, it was completely my imagination. <laughs> yeah. I was but, hyper. Yeah. I, I was the same way. It was like every time I touched, uh, touched a doorknob or something, I was like seeing like little things, you know, groping my, my hand. Yeah. 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 It was, it was ridiculous, you know, paranoia and, mm -hmm. um, well, and I think it was justified paranoia because we didn't at know time, so much at the beginning. Yeah. We didn't, you know, and, and I'm still fairly careful now, you yeah. know, like I'm, I'm fully vaccinated, but when I go out and I'm in public, I wear a mask until I know that everybody around me has been vaccinated and that they feel safe. And, yeah. you know, and sometimes even they'll still feel more comfortable keeping their masks on, you know? Yeah. Oh, well, there's a lot of, you know, I'm still, you know, like washing my hands is I'm doing like a heck of a lot mm -hmm. more than I was before. Yeah. My, I, I like, I think I should need to buy stock in some hand lotion companies because I've washed <laughs> my hands so much this year. That's right. So, yeah. Chapped hands. It's the, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a booming industry. But, but yeah, so. but back to, I never, I never asked that. I, I chose this song in part because it was a song where it, where I definitely did some real work on it. Um, mm -hmm. on, on, like I, I wrote it, it pretty much came out as it was, but some of the, sometimes I write things and I don't know where they come from. I've, I've read a lot my whole life. I was a philosophy major in college mm -hmm. um, and read you know religious texts and things like that. And little pieces of information would stick somewhere, but I, hadn't, I had no way to reference like where they came from. Mm -hmm. And so the, she, I, the, you dressed me all in blue. I'm like, where did I come from? Come up with that? Well, most of a lot of the paintings of Mary, she's in blue. Yeah, yeah. I recall, I looked up the use of that paint. They usually use that because the chemical or the the mineral that was needed to create that paint was very rare. So they used it for the most special of um, of of like people that they were painting usually. Hmm. Um, at, at one point in time, um, the the uh, what do you think I know? What, what wisdom can I show you in your misery? I had gone to Paris um, earlier in the year that I, uh, in the year before I went to see this play and I went to Sacre-Cœur and um, which is a beautiful church. Um, and all of these people were lighting candles and praying at Mary's statue. And, you know, I, I went to a Catholic school but I did not grow up Catholic and I never understood this sort of praying to Mary. Mm -hmm. um, still don't. Still really don't sure, because I'm sure. very, I'm very Episcopalian and, and buttoned up that way. And I kept thinking if I were Mary and all these people were praying to me, what would be going through my head? <laughs> like, yeah. I'm just a person. 
who had a baby, who grew up and did something pretty incredible. I mean, whether you believe in, you know, the savior Jesus or the historical, there was a historical Jesus who did leading and did teachings during this time. And she was his mother from what we know. So, so I kept trying to put myself in that. So that's, that's, you know, like all, everything I realized came from somewhere, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I didn't make it up necessarily in my head. I just, so I actually had to, I did post research, I guess. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's, well, that's interesting because like, um, you know, when you write a song, uh, you may have kind of what your initial intention was behind Mm it and maybe it was fuzzy, maybe it was concrete, but, uh, I don't necessarily do a lot of research on um, after the fact with my song, some cases, uh, Mm. but, but I think there are definitely times where something clicks and makes sense to me after I've written it. And that Mm -hmm. wasn't why I wrote it that way, at least not consciously. And, but I'll, you know, that will become the reason why I wrote it that way. And uh, it just sort of, because whatever, that's the way human memory works. Right. But I, but I've definitely caught that with myself where I'll start telling a story about this song and it'll be like, Oh, wait a second. I don't think I even thought about that until like a year after I wrote it, you know, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, and I think with this one, I wanted to be careful because I was writing about this, you know, religious figure and I didn't, and I didn't want to, I, and I knew that, you know, if somebody got their hands on it, I, it would, it, who knew more than I did. And there's a lot of people who know a lot more than I do sure. that I wanted to just stand up, be able to stand up to scrutiny. So um, I don't know if she remembers, but I remember asking my sister who has a master's of divinity, um, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, ran it by a couple of priests that I know in the Episcopal church saying, does this, you know, <laughs> is this going to get me in trouble? Uh-huh. And, and several, and they, both of them that, that I ran it by were like, Oh no, this is great. So I was like, okay, shoo. <laughs> but well, it's interesting with uh, details when it, when it comes to details in songs um, there, uh, I, I feel like songwriters kind of have it easy compared to novelists. Uh, in a lot of ways, um, because you can kind of hint at things with details. Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily have to, uh, you know, let the whole shebang out there. You can you can hint. There can be a sense of mystery, but you can put detail in there without having to spell everything out and 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 fully expose it. So, um, though this is, yeah, I mean, because you dress me all in blue as if somehow that hue claims my innocence. Um I mean, these are these are details that that I think if you're if you're not familiar with them, they they add a lot of depth and and interest mm-hmm. to them. But uh, but I don't know if they're. I mean, if are they so specific that they would take other people out of it if they were wrong? I guess it would have to be pretty pretty wrong, or mm-hmm. would they take it as kind of a po- poetic license? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's. Inter- I think it depends on the listener. Yeah. You know, I there's there's songs that I've listened to where I know about the writer. And so a song that like you might listen to, you don't know this writer mm-hmm. and you hear the story of the song and you're like, oh, that's so beautiful. And then I, I'm thinking of a specific song that a friend wrote where she changed the last verse because it worked with the story, mm-hmm. but but the whole story up until the last verse was a very true story of her, uh, but she wrapped the song mm-hmm. up in a really nice bow. Yeah. And, um, and it just, and, and because I know her, I can't, the song doesn't feel as true to me, but you could hear the same song not knowing this and it would, you would love the song. And I do like the song a lot. It's just that it always feels a little like, you know, so it just depends on the listener and what the listener knows and doesn't know. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's a thing. It's like, how much do they know you? And um, how does that affect people's experience of the music? That's, that's a, that's a, that's a big topic right there. Oh, yeah. um, and well, it's actually, you know what, it actually, I think that may dovetail a little bit with uh, the next song, which um, mm-hmm. because I think the impact of this next song that you brought in depends on on what they know about the or what they presume to know about the writer. Um, yeah. But this this next song is uh, "Girls Like Me." Is this also off of "Restless no, Moon"? Is, no, this will actually be on "Better Than Fine," which is being released early in 2022. Oh, okay. and um, that it, it, but it has also been released on a compilation that my women's songwriting group Chicks with Dip put out during the pandemic called um, Stomping on Eggshells. And uh, we all put politically 
oriented songs, and I didn't mean this to be a political song, unfortunately it is, on this, uh, on this little EP that you can find in Bandcamp. And if you do go and buy the EP, all of the proceeds go to um, the ACLU. Um, so I- And this so was which, which, which album was this? This was the one that was released by- Chick, this, is a, this is an EP that the Chicks with Dip did this last uh-huh. year. We all recorded everything remotely on it. And um, I, of course, had this done. And I said, do you think this would fit in? And they said, yeah, it'll fit in. So, um, yeah. So. All right. Well, let's let's play this this one. This is Girls Like Me by Meg Braun off of her upcoming album, Better Than Fine, but can also be found on the album. Stomping on eggshells. Stomping on eggshells. All right. Here we go. Girls Like Me. What if you don't remember Only the waking up the morning after Your shirt on the floor, lipstick smeared What if you don't remember Don't happen to 
That was Girls Like Me by Meg Braun off of the upcoming album Better Than Fine. Wow, that that hits hard. That's a um, very powerful song. I don't know a single woman who hasn't dealt with some level of sexual harassment or sexual assault, and I certainly am among that group. But what this song really came out of, first, it was a prompt song, believe it or not. Uh, The prompt was Houndstooth, interestingly enough. Houndstooth. Uh, Houndstooth was the what is prompt. Houndstooth? I, that sounds like it something other pattern. than just a. It's a what? It's a, it's a pattern that you will find like on a fabric or on leather. It's um, I can picture it. I can't describe it. But uh, if you go look up Houndstooth, you'll see what the pattern is. You're, you're, you have seen Houndstooth, a Houndstooth sure, sure. bag or a jacket. Um, I actually did have a Houndstooth jacket once. Uh, in any case, but I wrote this. Um, during the time that Brett Kavanaugh was being confirmed oh, yeah. for mm-hmm. Supreme Court and uh, Dr. Christine Blasey Ford was getting grilled and a lot of questions were coming up about, well, why didn't she report this when it happened? Mm-hmm. And it occurred to me um, when this, you know, I st- when I started writing this, I wasn't thinking about that. I didn't know what I was going to write about when I sat down to write it. Like I literally was like, this was another one. The song is due. I better write it so I don't get kicked out of the group. And um, actually, I think I was okay. Um, I'd have to look back at when it was written. I think I had. I think that I hadn't taken a mulligan that year. That year yet. Um, so I would have been all right because uh, I think I remember saying, "Hey, I don't think I'm going to get this in." And then mm-hmm. I felt compelled to sit down and write. And mm-hmm. I wrote and wrote and wrote. Um, and this was another one that came out pretty much as is. I did go back and do some tweaking and pulling out of words and out of the bridge. But really what I wanted to address was there are a number of reasons a woman might not report a sexual assault or a rape. One of them is, is what do you do if you don't remember it? What if your drink was drugged? You know, and how do you explain that? Especially if you are someone who has been raised to be really careful. I mean, I know like when I, I was, I was, you know, kind of given a talk by my mom and by friend, like when you go out, make sure your eyes are always on your drink. Don't let somebody buy you a drink unless you see it being like, you're given all of these things and don't dress too sexily. Don't, you know, don't do this. Don't do that to protect yourself. And yet you can do everything right. And somehow something slides through. And cause you, so you think to yourself, this doesn't happen to me. I mean, I'm, sure. I'm a nice girl. I, I dress, I didn't dress like I wanted to be assaulted. I didn't. And you wake up the next morning and someone's, you know, someplace and you don't remember what happened because somehow your drink got drugged. And um, unfortunately that story is far too common. And I get really passionate about it because the onus gets put on the woman who has already been through so much to call to account. And so, um, and I, I want the song to get played clearly because I feel like it, it tells a story that needs to be told. Well, what kind of reaction do you get from the audience when you, when you play this? Well, um, really positive for the most part, like people appreciate it. I, uh, played it more, most recent time. I think I played this, I did a women's uh, history month live stream. My friend Genevieve it on and I played this song and another song and several women who were participating in the stream commented and thanked me for writing the song. Um, and because I think it's really important that if we have been through something and we've come kind of on the other side and have, I mean, sometimes you don't have peace with it ever, but there's a certain amount of peace you come to when you've, when you've survived a trauma yeah. uh, like this and other traumas. I, I feel as a writer that it's my responsibility to tell that story um, in a safe, for me, this was a safe way to tell the story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it's because if we don't, if, if we don't as songwriters tell these stories, then they just get hidden and they don't get told. And we don't know that we're not alone. And that I think um, when I, I, I was, uh, I was held up at gunpoint when I was 16 and that's sort of the trauma that, that really um, probably shaped a lot of who I am. And I don't want to go too deeply into this. I have a therapist for things like this. Sure, sure, but, sure, sure, um, sure, sorry. Yeah, but, but, um, but at the same time, knowing you're not alone. And to me, um, I, I've worked a lot about on like, what is my mission as a songwriter? Because for me, that helps, that, help, that helps make, A, helps make me write <laughs> and B, 
holds me to a certain account on my songwriting. It doesn't mean I don't write fun songs, it, mm-hmm. but, but my mission as a songwriter in part has to do with helping people feel less alone. I would hope, I would hope that a woman who, has, who may have been through a sexual assault would hear a song like this and realize that she's not alone and that there's help, you know, help out there in, in a community of people who can help her get through it you know, and get on the other side of it so she can live a, a good productive life. That would be my hope. So now you're, you're a storyteller uh, mm-hmm. as a songwriter. Um, and, and uh, just what, what, one of the things we were talking about before getting into the song was just how much, you know, how much people connect with the song based on how much they know about the songwriter. Mm-hmm. Um, and so oftentimes, you know, you, I presume that you write songs that are autobiographical, but other times you write songs that are, you're, you're taking somebody else's position. But I think the audience always tends to, unless there's, some sort of historical situation like uh with um mary mary yeah yeah, with mary um then you know people tend to presume that uh, the audiences tend to presume that what you're singing is something that really happened to you or that Mm -hmm. it somehow you know reveals your character in some fashion even if it really isn't and do you ever run into any problems with that when you're when you perform a song um, there's a song that's actually on Restless Moon called Drunkard's Daughter. I actually co-wrote it with Diana Jones. Mm. And I, t- I got to a point when I was performing it to where I would say, so just so you know, my dad is not an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> my mother is very much alive. Mm-hmm. I had a pretty, on a lot of levels, idyllic childhood in many ways. <laughs> so I'm okay. This is someone else's story. I'm not really sure whose story it is, but it came out. So it's somehow someone's story somewhere. Mm-hmm. And as writers, and I actually do think that we can we can make up stories. Patty Griffin very famously has talked about how she would just make she would pull a story. It's almost like there's a stream. I think I think it was an interview with her. There's like a stream going by, and you as a writer sometimes get to pluck out something, and it might be your story, it might be somebody else's. And I I think as writers we have that freedom. Um, we're but we're always bringing a part of ourselves mm-hmm. yeah. to everything we write. You know, um, whether whether the girls like me is autobiographical or not, there's a piece of autobiograph uh, auto auto what's the word autobiography in it, uh-huh. because I am a survivor of a trauma, mm-hmm. and so I can take that that experience and bring that into my writing. Yeah, yeah, uh, that yeah, absolutely. I think that's um, I, I think it's inescapable. Personally, I think that when mm-hmm. you're writing something, uh, even if you're trying to write. You know, sometimes people try to mimic other styles and whatnot. I think it's like your your own personal point of view just just ultimately comes through. Uh, mm-hmm. Even even if you're even if you're trying to to play another character or you're trying to do a different style or something like that, it just it's I, personally I, I feel that way. My experience of other songwriters and I and I hope this is true of me. I think it is 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 one of the things that makes them so good is that they're empathetic. Mm, sure. So they're able to put themselves in someone else's shoes and understand how they might feel. And that's how we can tell other people's stories. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that that, I mean, I don't know a single songwriter that doesn't have a great depth of empathy. And it's one of the things like, that's why I love other singer songwriters is because everyone, they're very caring people. I mean, they could be very screwed up people sometimes, but that doesn't mean that they're not empathetic and very caring. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's true. It's um. There is kind of a love in going on with with uh, other musicians and and, and singer songwriters and whatnot, yeah. So, oh, uh, well, this is yeah, like, like I said, this is a powerful song, and and uh, I was assuming this was off of Restless Moon because it it fits the synopsis that you had. I mean, it does fit the the theme of of a woman who's you know been shaped by the world that that choice was yeah. taken away uh, from her. I think that's a theme telling women's stories in, in, and it really, it, that started with restless moon that I will probably be, it will probably be a very big part of anything that I write going forward. Um, it's part of my mission is to tell stories, but also women's mm-hmm. stories. And, um, and because very much better than fine is another, is another album of stories of survival of dealing with, with choices that you make and choices that are made for you. Because I mean, that's true. That's true for men. It's true for everybody. We get to make choices, but we also have choices that are made for us. Yeah. You know, that, 
you know, I didn't, I didn't get to choose the hospital I was born in, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. There's, yeah, there's uh, the, we're, we're born into this world and it has its way with us. I mentioned when we've spoken before, uh, Broken Places was my second album. Mm -hmm. And I love that. And the last song on that album is a song called Strong Women. And I wrote it. It's a funny story. I wrote it for a family reunion. My, my grandparents, my mom's parents died in 1999 and 2000 and within about three months of each other. They'd been married for almost 65 years. And I was very, very close to my mom's mother, my, my maternal grandmother. And my Aunt Lee decided to have a family reunion and wanted sort of almost like a, a grandkids family talent show to be part of it. And so I got it in my head to write a song. And I took the song to a songwriting camp called Summer Songs and um, workshopped it there. And um, a few months later, I was, uh, I think it was probably after the family reunion uh, when I played it there. And of course it went over very well. I was at playing a show at a coffee house and one of the Summer Songs people were there and there. And I kind of, I was, I was still like new to playing out. And so I didn't quite time myself right. And I ended up with like 10 extra minutes that I needed to fill. And so I asked if there were any requests and this person said, that song you played last summer, why don't you play that? And I'm like, oh, okay. And I was like, mm -hmm. I'm like, are you sure? I mean, that's such a personal song. She's like, I love that song. Mm -hmm. So I played that song and then another coffee house, somebody else asked for it before I knew it. And, and it's, it's a very personal song. It's very specifically about my grandmother and my mother. Hmm. Um, but I actually, going back to what we talked about details and specificity. Yeah. I think the very the fact that those details to me are that are just so much unique to my mom and grandmother actually make the song more universal. Um, and so that song sort of opened a window to me. I'm like, I should tell women's stories. And I'm very, I'm very intentional about that. Well, it's interesting about the details, because um, it's almost like even if that's not a detail that you specifically relate to, just the fact that there are those details seem to be something that people respond to just that they know what it's like to have an intimate relationship with mm -hmm. someone and they know what it's like to have this little object that that means so much in a relationship so that even though it may be a bottle cap in this song mm -hmm. you know and in 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 your case it was a you know some receipt something you know from yeah. somewhere it's you know just knowing that that those details are there and that other people experience relationships and experience uh, things through those details. Uh, that 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 seems to spark something in people. I think so. I think it's. I think what it is 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 it, you actually put the nail a nail on the head when you said one person might be t have this very special bottle cap, but you have this special bottle cap, and I'm hearing this in a song, and it's like, oh yeah, I have something special like that too. So it, yeah. it's and and so we all have you know those little just those little things, and I think the I think details also draw a picture. Um, yeah, you know, and, I, I mean, it, it's better than say, I mean, it, it just the contrast is like, you could say that, that bottle cap, you could refer to that, or you could say that special knickknack mm -hmm. and the bottle cap is always going to be a better choice than saying the knickknack. Um, even though the knickknack is more universal, every it's, yeah, it's, I, it's, it's fascinating how the, you know, and I, and I actually find in, in not songwriting in life in general, if I, the more sort of detailed I get when I'm getting to know somebody about my own experience, it opens them up to tell me about their experience. Yeah. It creates a safe space for that. And I'm kind of wondering if details like that, like describing the room that you, you know, that you slept in as a kid doesn't make somebody think about the room they slept in as a kid, you know? Yeah. And, and all the intimate details about that. Um, that's probably, that's, I guess that's a pretty good example. You know, well, so, it, it would yeah. it would be interesting to it would be interesting to see the psychological uh, if there's like a psychological study on that. You know, if you're mm -hmm. if you go into specific details as opposed to general, de you know, general, you know, commonalities. You know, uh, do the does the specific create greater bonding? Mm -hmm. Then that anyway, it's interesting, interesting yeah. stuff. Hey, we're gonna take a short break here, and when we come back. We are going to talk about the prompt that uh, that Meg chose, and then we're going to listen to the songs that we wrote to those prompts. So uh, we'll be right back after this. This is the end of part one of my interview with Meg Braun. 
She had so many interesting stories and insights that I had to split it into two episodes. So be sure to check out part two, where we'll listen to and talk about our challenge songs for the week, and a lot of other stuff too. See you there.